And the first reading you will find on page 205, 205. And it is from the first letter of Timothy. So 1 Timothy 1, and it's verses 12 to 17. I am grateful to Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a man of violence, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But for that very reason, I received mercy so that in me, as the foremost, Christ, Jesus Christ might display the utmost patience, making me an example to those who would come to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And there's a second reading, which is on page 75. So it's Luke's Gospel. Uh, and it's Luke 15, chapter 15, verses 1 to 10. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost till he finds it. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. Or, what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. 
just so I tell you. There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord God, we give thanks for scripture and for your glorious gospel. We pray that we would have soft hearts this morning and that we would hear from you. For we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as um, Stephen mentioned, we're slightly hot-footing it. Um, as, a, as a preacher, you occasionally have talks up your sleeves. You know, most people, I don't know, put tissues up their sleeves. We have talks up our sleeves. Um, I happen to have this one up my sleeve, but it was based on two readings. Uh, and I thought, actually, I, I'm not going to apologize that we're having two readings this morning, because uh, what's better than one reading? Two readings. Um, and also, we should never base anything we really see in the Bible on one reading. We should see it over and over again. We should see God at work and see consistency. And actually, that's what we see in these two readings. And that's why I wanted still for us to hear those two readings this morning. <clears throat> but we're going to first think about the Luke passage, that second uh, passage that we had read to us by Fenella. Um, so you can keep that open to begin with. As we think about it, I want us to think about the people who we might expect God to be working through, for right or for wrong, and those who we would expect that God might not be working through. We would be surprised that God would work through, that God might, it would be surprising for God to reach out to those people. That is a backbone of this reading. And a little um, other introduction. Sorry, my headset is catching on the back of my head. Um, when I came to face as a university student, um, a number of my friends who, you know, because I hadn't come from a Christian background or anything, um, they were sort of surprised to suddenly see that I was a Christian. And they said, I was at Southampton University down on the south coast, and they said, but you've come to faith here. With this sort of background, with this sort of education, with these sorts of friends, well, okay, you've become a Christian because of just these combination of things. What were they implying by that? If you'd been come to faith in Japan, you'd be Shinto Buddhist. If you'd come to faith in Turkey, you'd be Muslim. If you'd come to faith in Italy, you'd be Catholic. Those sorts of ideas. A challenge that what we believe is merely based on our background, merely based on the type of person we are, the way we think, the family background that we're from. And the implication was sort of this, that where you are, you're just bound to think in that way. If you're in somewhere else, you're bound not to think in a particular way, and it's nothing more complicated than that. So these couple of things as our introduction to our Luke passage this morning. So in that passage, Jesus is talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. So the scribes and the Pharisees you could describe as those who you would 
not be surprised for God to work through. God had worked through those who had been working and ministering in the temple for generations. So those are the unsurprising. But they are criticizing Jesus because he is spending time, and it says, with tax collectors and sinners. Those you might box in a category of those who you'd be surprised for God to be working through. The Jewish people didn't like tax collectors for obvious reasons. They propped up the Roman occupation, and they did it by taking money off their own people, giving money to a foreign power, but making sure that they got more than they needed so that they lined their own pockets. So not only did they prop up a foreign regime, they also um, did pretty well for themselves in it. We'll keep them to one side. We don't like them. And then it had this term, sinners, a term which you could easily just say, anyone I don't want to like, anyone who I want to put out in a box over there. It's interesting, in our other reading, Paul calls himself a sinner. So by the time Paul comes along, he's really turned this idea on his head. But earlier on, to be a sinner is to really be an outsider. Examples of sinners were those who didn't follow the law, those who weren't Jews, those whose life didn't scrub up to religious requirements, and those whose job that they did excluded them from religious life. That might be working with unclean animals as um, in the prodigal son parable that when he was working among the pigs, that is a sign. You are automatically an outsider or Simon the Tanner in the book of Acts. These are all outsiders now, sinners. Keep them away. Put them to one side. So the scene is set. Jesus is challenged for offering welcome to those who, the the insiders, those whom we're not surprised by faith, he's offering welcome to those who we would in that time be surprised by faith. And so Jesus gives three parables in response to them, and we heard from two of them, and I'll briefly introduce the third because it helps us to understand the first two So the first parable, these are really familiar stories, but I think we're desensitized to the truth of what they're actually saying. The parable of the lost sheep, 99 healthy sheep in the flock, one lost one. What's the logical response to it? It says, wouldn't you, of course, go off to the the one that is lost to bring it back? to be with the 99. I don't know. We're not shepherds, but actually, if you are the hired hand and you don't earn very much, would you, at the end of the day, prefer to say, I'm really sorry, I lost one, or say, I lost one, so I went out to go and try and find it, and I lost half of them? That is the logic of actually leaving the 99 behind. You're actually supposed to question the sanity of them. It's not as obvious when you have it in just that one, but these are progressive parables. 
and they're meant to make you really question the sanity of, of the parable. They're meant to make you question. So the second parable, a woman in a house has ten coins. She loses one of them. This reminds me of when I lose anything. You turn the whole house upside down. You move everything to go and find it. You pull your hair out. She turns her whole life into disarray, but finally finds it. What does she do? She goes and tells her friends and her neighbours. She calls a party together. She says, I I lost some money, but now I found it. Why don't you celebrate with me? What do you think her friends thought of her sanity? I think we're kind of like, if you were invited to a party that said, you know, I had 10 pound notes, I lost one of them. Let's spend that 10 pound note that I've just found on having a party. They go... It's an unusual reason to call a gathering. I, you know, I'll have a drink with you, and I'm, I'm glad you found what was lost, but I'm a bit bemused. What's interesting in that parable is we don't know the response of the people, the friends who are invited. But I think, actually, we are supposed to know, because this is the second of three parables. The third parable if you look in your Bibles, is the parable of the prodigal son. And so in the parable of the prodigal son, one of the eldest son disrespects his father, wants his inheritance early, not entitled to have it, but the father very graciously gives it to him. He goes off on his merry way, lives his life however he wants, ends up in dire straits, and then eventually comes back to the father, willing to just do anything for the father. But the father welcomes him with open arms, is longing to see his son. In that parable, we have the other brother. And the other brother, the one who never left, gets snarky. He's not overly impressed by the party. There we know the response. And I think we're supposed to read back in each one. Each parable gives us a little bit more to the other. He doesn't like the fuss that's being made. He'd prefer his brother just to come back in shame, you know, slot back into the family some way. But let's, let's not make a fuss about it. All this fuss is undignified. So go back one parable to the parable of the lost coin that we heard. Those friends. I think there is an assumption that her friends would have seen her as being just a bit over the top, just strange in her response. We can read back. Each one is telling us a little bit more about the religious insider, those who we would be expecting to have faith, and the, what you could call the religious outsider, those who at that time you'd have been surprised for God to be working through. And you get a sense of how 
Jesus saw this situation panning out, and we see how God sees this situation. And you just see a level of excitement that in that parable of the coin, she, she throws a party for the 99. When they return, they rejoice. And it says, you know, you know, so much more, your father will rejoice in that same way. I think often we're very um, reserved and we don't show the level of excitement that actually those parables show over the value and the meaning of someone coming to faith. If you want to get, be excited about uh, people coming to faith, come this evening to the confirmations. New faith is always exciting and reminds us about when faith came to us and we received that gift, if we've received that gift. If you're still uh, wondering about it, come along as well and, and hear what they have to say. But our first reading that we heard was from 1 Timothy 1. You're welcome to turn back to it. 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 to 17. In that, we hear of probably the person who we should think is the most surprising person to have come to faith of his era, the great persecutor of the church, Paul. And I find it so intriguing that he, after, you know, in the Gospels, tax collectors and sinners, they were the ones we hold at arm's length, the ones that we want to avoid. He, you know, says, you know, I was the the greatest of all sinners. He puts that label on himself, not as a way to be pushed aside, but actually to show how far God reaches into all of our lives and saves us and brings us into his presence. But he puts himself into acknowledging essentially that he was the most lost sheep that no shepherd would ever bother going to to find. They would know it would be far too risky to go and try and save that sheep in your right mind. A coin so hidden, you might as well say, well, if it turns up, it turns up, but I'm pretty sure it's not in the house. But Paul shows in, in that bit of 1 Timothy 1, that God thinks differently, that God's kingdom and God's economy are fundamentally different from our own. There is no sheep too lost, no coin too hidden for God. And that's why I sort of didn't apologize for us having two readings this morning, because Paul is the absolute proof in the pudding of these parables. Parables are meant to be general ways of telling us a truth. Paul was the living truth in his generation. Remember at the beginning I said about my friends who just said, but you came to faith here, and because of that. I ended up going, well, what if I meet people all over the world? What if I, you know, go and travel, meet Christians, meet people who are unlike me? Is it, is it just my background? Is it just the way I've been brought up or whatever? And you know what? It isn't. 
I encourage you, if you ever you know, take a holiday, go and, go and meet the Christians there. Or uh, if you're in another part of the city or part of the country, God doesn't work through just people who are like us or people with a background like us or an age like us. God transforms all areas of society. There aren't those who we should be surprised that God works through and those we shouldn't be surprised. Because I've seen it in my life and I'm hopeful that you see it too, that God turns up in surprising places through surprising people. This morning, I want us to see how outrageously excited God is about the lost. When we see it, how excited Paul was that God reached into his life, and in the parables, how excited God is. God is meant to sort of make us question our assumptions. Those parables, we've been desensitized to them, but they should really make us question. Because God isn't half-hearted in his excitement. God isn't half-hearted in how much he wants to reach into people's lives. And so this morning, to think like God is to get excited in the way that he gets excited. To remember that if it's possible for Paul, the great persecutor of the church, it is possible for anyone that we know, for God to be doing a great work in their lives. And so this week, my challenge for us is to pray, God, who are you calling to yourself? Who will there be great multitudes in heaven praising you when they are brought into your kingdom? Because the thing is, it's God who does the work, but he works through us. And it's important not to switch those the wrong way around. That God doesn't do it anyway without us and nor do we do it all on our own and God um, isn't any part of it. God is working in their lives and by grace we pray that if we know someone God is already at work in their life. But our prayer can be God how can I be involved in that great kingdom work that you are at work in doing in their lives. How will we see great rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents and turns to God for all eternity? Because when it does, um, there will be this prayer that we hear in 1 Timothy 1. To the king of the ages, immortal and invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we give you thanks for your word this morning. We give thanks that you reach into our lives. And we pray that you be speaking to us, that we would see you at work in those around us. And we pray that we would be part of that great kingdom journey, that we would see people being called to yourself, that we would see rejoicing in heaven, as we are part of that great story of redemption. 
And so would you be speaking to us individually, calling us to be part of that story through people that we know. We pray that we would be your hands and feet and that we would see that wonderful rejoicing that comes when a sinner comes to you, when the lost sheep is once again found and brought home into your kingdom. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.